The MarTech Podcast is a proud member of the I Hear Everything Podcast Network. Looking to launch or scale your podcast? I Hear Everything delivers podcast production, growth, and monetization solutions that transform your words into profit. Ready to give your brand a voice? Then visit IHearEverything.com. From advertising to software as a service to data. Across all of our programs and clients, we've seen a 55 to 65% open rate. Getting brands authentically integrated into content performs better than TV advertising. Typical lifespan of an article is about 24 to 36 hours. If we're reaching out to the right person with the right message and a clear call to action, then it's just a matter of timing. Welcome to the MarTech Podcast, a Ben J. Shap LLC production. In this podcast, you'll hear the stories of world-class marketers that use technology to drive business results and achieve career success. We'll unearth the real-world experiences of some of the brightest minds in the marketing and technology space so you can learn the tools, tips, and tricks they've learned along the way. Now here's the host of the MarTech Podcast, Benjamin Shapiro. Welcome to Career Day on the MarTech Podcast. Today, we're going to learn about the skills accumulated and lessons learned from a great marketer throughout the various stops on his career. Joining us for Career Day is an acclaimed digital marketer, philanthropist, and entrepreneur. Dave Hanley is the founder and CEO at Tomorrow, which is an app that helps you organize your family's finances to make decisions for the future from insurance and inheritance to investments. Prior to his role at Tomorrow, Dave founded Banyan Branch, which is a social media marketing agency that was acquired by Deloitte. He's also a young global leader at the World Economic Forum and is also the Martex podcast's first Fulbright Scholar guest. Okay, here's our interview with founder and CEO of Tomorrow, Dave Hanley. Dave, welcome to the Martech podcast. It's great to be here. That was quite an introduction. We're honored to have you here. I want to start off by potentially embarrassing you a little bit here. I want to read you the Wikipedia description of what a Fulbright Scholar is so our guests understand how exclusively smart and successful you are. So <laughs> the Fulbright Program is one of several United States cultural exchange program whose goal is to improve intercultural relations, cultural diplomacy, and intercultural competence between the people of the United States and other countries through the exchange of persons, knowledge, and skills. It is one of the most prestigious and competitive fellowships in the world. Via the program, competitively selected American citizens, including students, scholars, teachers, professionals, scientists, and artists may receive scholarships or grants to study, conduct research, teach, or exercise their talents abroad. So moral of the story here is in some field, you are so skilled and so smart that the government paid for you to take your skills somewhere else. It's a beautiful, beautiful program. So it has a story going back to the First World War of having cash stashed around the world. And the Fulbright was basically set up like, well, let's use this money and let's get put the world back together by having people visit American scholars, visit other countries and do the opposite. And it's a program that brought one of my personal heroes to the United States. That's Mohammed Yunus, who founded Grameen Bank and won the Nobel Peace Prize more than 10 years ago. And then he ended up sponsoring my Fulbright to go and work with him in Bangladesh. Uh, and that's how a lot of that came together. It was a beautiful full circle. 
Well, I think that it is fair to say that very rarely, if ever, have we had somebody who is uh, as accomplished as a Fulbright scholar. So again, we're very excited to have you on the show. But let's talk a little bit about marketing. Why don't we just start off at the beginning? How did you get into marketing? Well, it's like a lot of things. When you're a devout generalist and you don't go through a path of engineering or finance, you find that you become passionate about something and really want to contribute. And that began actually in my first career in microcredit banking, where I founded and ran the largest conference on microcredit banking and also the first academic journal on the subject. And in doing that, I realized, well, if no one shows up or no one subscribes, then this thing is going to be very short lived. And it was in that that I first cut my teeth in just understanding how to build an audience. And then as I grew through business school and beyond and turned my attentions to tech, I began as a product manager, but then quickly realized that, wow, I just wanted to be super close to the audience and help people discover and find these great products that I was working on. So I became enamored with marketing just at the right moment when marketing technology was starting to take off. And it's allowed me to be super creative and to be really living out these various dreams through all these interactions where I get to be super close to marketing the products I get to work on. So you started off with a product background. You had an understanding of technology. You go to business school and you pop out at the perfect right time and you decide that some of the skills that you've been using, which were marketing related, it was time to formalize that experience. And then you started really working in marketing was it post-business school? It was post-business school. So I was working on product for the Rhapsody Music Service, which you may remember, early Spotify. And I left that and basically had two offers. One was to go run marketing at Redfin with Glenn Kelman, who I still love and adore. But I turned it down to join with a couple of friends who created this online book club called Shelfari. And they wanted me to come in and redesign it as a social network for readers. And I show up on my first day and 42 people logged in to use the site. And I came home and told my wife, I've made a terrible mistake. <laughs> it's not like Redfin went off to be a big thing or anything. Well, honestly, that was like a very spiritual moment of like, wow, I have these two things I want to do. Which one feels right? And it was very clear, go to Shelfari. And that was 2007, at which point I should have shorted the real estate market. And that would have worked out super well. But I came in the next morning, I got up like 4am, I came in and I wrote down the 19 reasons of why I'm better off bringing you back to the site or bringing you there for the first time. And I pitched it to the team when we came in. And by the end of the week, it was product requirements. And we flipped the whole company into the social network for readers, took it to 2 million members in about a year without any advertising, and then sold it to Amazon. So you're sitting here with a product that has very little traction. And you decided to take a product-driven approach. You're thinking of the different reasons why someone should come in and you work that into some requirements to drive organic and viral growth. Talk to me about some of the strategies that you implemented. What helped you go from 42 to 2 million users? So part of it is around the beginning with the psychology, which is among these readers, what are the things that we want them to feel? One is we want them to feel esteemed for the hours and effort that they put in cultivating their reading. And then also we want them to feel like they can both show off and express themselves through the product, but also legitimately find out what am I going to read next? And can I grow my pie of how much I'm enjoying this experience by actually either reading with other people or engaging with them in how I read. That was, again, beginning with the psychology. And then you sort of step back to like, okay, well, what's the math here? 
how can you actually create something where you can manufacture the virality? In that case, it was classic viral coefficient mathematics around how many people can you get to invite? How many people do you invite? How many of those people sign up? And how many of them invite? And onward and onward and onward, where we move through different iterations of tuning the viral coefficient which if you go back and look at it was a time of Flickster and LinkedIn had grown through this way. There were these special purpose sites, the Facebook platform had just come on and a lot of it was actually a little spammy. It was focused on, hey, let's get everyone to invite as many people as we can. On the third or fourth invite, someone will turn around and join the product. So I think I've learned a lot about that in terms of, yes, a lot of people came in. Yes, a lot of people were satisfied, but I think it was a good lesson also in making sure that you're thoughtful about all the people who are getting three, four or five emails from various people. And is that exactly the right way to go? But at that point, email was really the primary way that you would engage with people. Interesting. So you built a viral product that was around a community of book readers. And eventually that is acquired by Amazon, Logical Acquirer, the biggest retailer of books. And at that point in time was primarily focused on just selling books, hadn't turned into the e-commerce giant that it is today. Once your company was acquired, what did you do next? Well, it turns out that on my first day at Amazon, you're handed the new laptop and I log in, I get on the internet, I go to the directory and I typed in the word marketing and it produced zero results. There was literally no one in the company that year who had the title that included the word marketing. There were people that were on the growth team that were doing search engine reverse engineering. There wasn't even a brand team. So it was this moment where I was brought in and they said, thank you. We mostly want your data for all these users because we want to sell them books better than we do now. And they offered me to go throughout the company and find a place that I wanted to work. And I went and I met all these great teams. But because marketing was not a valued function inside the company, I knew I needed to leave. So I had another product company I wanted to work on, but I ended up doing something else. So talk to me a little bit about that experience. When you're at a company, you know, you're acquired in and you feel like there's not a fit. I'm sure that has some sort of repercussion on the value of all the work that you did. My guess is you have some sort of earnout, And if you decide to leave the company, you're not getting paid the full market value of your acquisition. How'd you make that decision to basically leave some chips on the table and move on to something else? Well, it was uh, Amazon stock, which was relatively flat that year, but I think the strike price was $67 when we did the deal. So it's a little higher now. It has gone up a bit, as you may know. But I met with these great teams. There was actually a few entrepreneurs within the Amazon world who I still really value and love to work with. But kudos to the team and Shelfari. We pivoted the whole company to focus on being a socially driven, marketing driven organization. And I wanted to do that. And so for me, I'm actually not motivated by money. I do enjoy the things that money would buy, but it's not the sole reason that I want to do that. I want to work with the people I want to work. I want to do the things I want to do. I want to have purpose to what I'm doing. And that's how I ended up leaving to build an entire company that only did marketing. So talk to me a little bit about what you created. So it was a total accident. As all good things are. A lot of these things are. Actually, how I became a Fulbright scholar is a total accident. I was in college. I was sharing an office with someone and he was working on his Fulbright app. And I said, what's that? Oh, I'm working on Fulbright. What's a Fulbright? And he explains it. I'm like, you can really do anything because you could literally study violin or study art or study politics. I'm like, well, when's it due? Oh, it's due on Friday. And it was Monday. So I literally wrote up my application, sent an email to Professor Eunice, 
he wrote a letter of recommendation back. I submitted everything in four days and became a full rise scholar. You make it sound so easy. It's one of those lucky coincidences of life. But same with this one. I had this product company I really wanted to work on that I still think is a great idea, but there was no capital because we closed the Amazon acquisition the day before Bear Stearns failed. So I reached out to a friend named Alex Garcia, super talented guy. He had worked on Hillary Clinton's first run for president. And we had done a little bit of social media consulting. And I reached out and I said, hey, do you want to do this? I need some money to fund this other venture. Sure. Neither of us have worked in an agency or done any meaningful consulting. But six weeks later, we hit a million dollar run rate. We bootstrapped about six or seven million and then took on a little capital and sold to Deloitte inside of three years. So it was a fun go. Again, you make this sound so easy. Like I did my Fulbright scholarship application in four days and it just got accepted. It's no big deal. You decided to bootstrap a consulting company without consulting experience. In a very short period of time, you were able to develop a roster of clients. You'd mentioned you took on some capital and continued to expand the business to the point it was acquired. What was the area of focus of the company? What was the type of consulting you were doing? It moved through a really rapid evolution. So the first ones were literally we're going to help you get onto social media and use it. So we brought Disney onto Facebook. So we brought Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs each onto Facebook and had them interact with each other. We actually had no idea that we had no business calling on the clients that we did. So we actually signed up Fox as a client for their TV shows. We worked with the Gates Foundation. We worked on Porsche's dealer network, Intel, Microsoft. We basically built this blue chip group of clients partially because we just started early and took some risks and then ended up with a client list that just couldn't be matched. And that's part of why Deloitte came to us. So part of it is that we started with these very like, hey, we're just going to get you on the social media. We'll do some campaigns, we'll do some digital. But then it actually grew. I became obsessed with social media data. We became close to the Radiant 16, which is now Salesforce Marketing Cloud. But early on, they gave us their API without any documentation. We built a tool to traverse their API, built out the first draft of their documentation, and used that to do a ton of research around customers' intent. We hired both data scientists and digital anthropologists. It was a 25-person team by the time we sold it to Deloitte. And they built out these amazing both reports, but also strategies for how to build deep customer engagement and then deliver that and measure it over time. A couple things that stick out to me about this experience. First, you mentioned that you were a first mover or were early in the days of social marketing. So you had the ability to reach out to large brands and bring them onto a new type of marketing, a new channel. The second one is you just somehow managed to get the contact information for the right people at Disney, Fox, Porsche, all these other companies. And then you were able to develop a, not only a business for bringing them and onboarding them onto the platform, but doing data science to understand who the customers are and get insights that were able to help them optimize their strategies. Time for a one minute break to hear from our presenting sponsor, Mutinex. In 1919, John Wanamaker said, half the money I spend on advertising is wasted. I just don't know which half. Well, the advertising landscape has changed since then, and instead of reaching your audience on two channels, you're probably reaching them on 20. Turns out John didn't know how easy he had it. But that doesn't mean that you should give up on striving towards marketing effectiveness. 
No matter how complex your marketing strategy is, Mutinex Growth OX is the market mix modeling platform that measures the impact of marketing on your bottom line. Mutinex's market mix modeling platform calibrates your insights against the latest market conditions so you can make media and marketing investment decisions confidently and quickly. Ready to take your team from I think to I know? Then join brands like Samsung, ING, and Asahi who make better marketing decisions with Mutinex. Mutinex Growth OX, your best decision starts here. To learn more about Mutinex, go to mutinex.co. That's M-U-T-I-N-E-X dot co. Okay, here's the rest of today's interview. A special thanks to our presenting sponsor, Mutinex. Ready to take your team from I think to I know? Then join brands like Samsung, ING, and Asahi who make better marketing decisions with Mutinex. Mutinex Growth OX, the marketing mixed modeling platform that makes measuring ROI fast, easy, and cost-effective. Request a demo at mutinex.co. That's M-U-T-I-N-E-X dot co. Talk to me a little bit more about that sort of confluence of events, right? Being a first mover, how did you know to build this strategy? How did you figure out who to reach out to and get the blue chip clients onboarded? And then, you know, what was your data platform and what were the services that you offered? It was a really thoughtful but organic process to build this out. So I have been lucky enough to get excited about things when they're early at multiple times in my career. So microcredit banking in the mid 90s was something that was exciting to just a handful of people. I actually dropped my classes, quit my job, moved to DC and slept in someone's hallway so I could be there on the first day of Grameen Foundation, which was the US arm of the biggest microcredit lender. And then it went on to become a large thing with private equity investment and so forth. So I got excited early, see where the opportunity is, see where I can add value and jump right in. The same thing happened with social businesses that created both Shelfari, but also created Banning Branch of just seeing this could be really important and brands don't know what they're doing. And I would love to be a part of that whole process. And then the third is I became very enamored with my current company, which we'll get to, which places me in the middle of InsureTech, which is this place where there's so much need and now so much money moving towards trying to solve major consumer problems about making sure people are properly insured and taken care of in a world where the original channels don't work anymore. So I've been very lucky in terms of where the world has enticed me. So after running your agency, you get, for lack of a better term, gobbled up by Deloitte. Yeah. And you spent some time at Deloitte. How is that experience different than going to Amazon? Well, it's fascinating. So first of all, the Deloitte folks were great. They worked very hard on the acquisition. I think they spent as much time or money integrating the acquisition as they did on the acquisition itself. And the reason we chose Deloitte is they made a specific promise and perspective to us, which is they actually paid cash up front. And then they really wanted us not just to go out and do what we're doing, but to actually be deeply integrated to everything that they were doing. They saw our work in social media as tip of the spear for everything that they wanted to do around consulting. So they brought us right in. But what's crazy about these huge firms is they don't actually acquire new clients. They really already service 
every Fortune 500 company and they have someone who only thinks about Walmart or they only think about companies that maybe you've never thought of. So you're just brought in. This is a client. We know them. This is their budget. This is what they value. This is what they need. And I want to bring you in for a solution. And we were able to get in and do really super interesting work in as a broad of areas as launching video games to predicting demand for chemicals, all using our social data and our tool set. I think the takeaway here is that when your company was acquired and you went to Amazon, that was more of a data acquisition than it was necessarily something that was strategic from a talent acquisition or a product acquisition standpoint. When you went to Deloitte, it was more of a product extension, adding the ability to leverage a new medium of marketing. And so you ended up staying at Deloitte and having a little bit more of a impactful career experience there than you did when your first company was acquired by Amazon? For me personally, yes. Now, the engineering team at Shelfari had a great experience. But yeah, I would say both are good acquirers. Both really worked hard at bringing and integrating us in. It's just for me, functionally at Amazon, at that point, wasn't a job. But now there is. So feel free to sell your company to Amazon. They have a little cash. <laughs> of course. So after your experience at Deloitte, I'm looking at your LinkedIn profile, and I see a lot of things that are advisory, board member, council member. It seems like your career took a shift away from enterprise or commercial focused and moved more towards philanthropy. Some of the organizations that you were working for are Thirst for Water, ConsumerAdvocates.org, World Economic Forum. Tell me about the phase of your career in between working at Deloitte and before what you're doing today. Well, at that point, I'm in my 30s. I've had now two exits. I have been able to cement the fact that I know how to found companies. I know how to build companies. I know how to sell companies. And of course, there's a lifetime of learning, but I've learned a lot of things. So now when it comes to my life, I can step back and say, what do I really want to do? And in that phase, while I was still at Deloitte, I went through a deep discovery process advised by someone who now holds a business card for my current company where her title is Muse. And she took me through the process. I did the artist's way, which she may have done, which is uh, Julie Cameron's 12-week self-directed course in creativity. I'm a daily journal writer. I carry a journal with me wherever I go to just pour out the ideas and emotions of what's inside my skull. And through that process, I discovered I love a portfolio approach to life. I love to be 95% in on one thing and make sure that I dedicate a little bit of time every week and sometimes every day to advising entrepreneurs and especially social entrepreneurs. I love to go to Davos and to Milken. I spent this weekend at a conference that was half hedge funders and half founders of fintech companies. And I love the macro hedge fund conversations just as much as anything. So I took this portfolio approach. I took a couple of board seats, two for-profit boards, one deep in the marketing space, and then one that's deep in the world of brand, which is Ragnar, which is a 24-hour relay race with insane customer base, amazing customer base that literally tattoos the brand on their bodies. And that has been also an incredible learning experience. 
So post multiple acquisitions, you decide that you're going to spread the wealth around a little bit and work as an advisor, some for profit, some non for profit. And you're able to do a couple of different adventures. You mentioned going to Davos, the World Economic Forum. And eventually you decide to go back, let's call it in-house, or you found another company, which is what you're doing today. Ironically, the company is called Tomorrow. Tell me a little bit about Tomorrow. What was the reason for jumping back into working and founding a company? And what is the company for? So Tomorrow is this collaborative platform where families come together and make important decisions together. So most of our users come in for our free legal will. So if you're listening to this, you probably don't have a legal will and you may think, well, do I need it? It's like, well, if you have a boyfriend or girlfriend and something happens to you, they're not going to get any of your assets. They can't make decisions for you. They actually need this. Or if you have a little kid, you need to have guardians in case likely nothing's going to happen. But if something does happen, there's a plan. And this was born completely out of my experience of building an agency with all these fantastic and bright young people. We sell it to Deloitte. Everyone's salaries go up. They get a little cash. They get married. They have babies. And none of them have life insurance. None of them have wills. None of them are doing some of these core things. And so I thought, huh, could you actually roll these things together and create a company that allows these couples and individuals to get their acts together, make it social, make it visual, and get people to do things like get a will. It turns out 80% of young families don't have a will. So let's get you a legal will for free. You can invite everyone who's in your will to the platform as well so they know what they're doing. And then it turns out if you don't have a will, you also likely don't have enough life insurance. So we're a broker of life insurance and that's how we get paid. So talk to me about the rationale for creating this type of company. I really wanted to create a company that was going to have a positive impact on the world. And I know that we all think that, but I grew up in a world of trying to help poor women in South Asia get a loan so they can buy a milk cow, sell milk every day and make small weekly payments so they can build the wealth of their family and go on to help their kids go to school and move forward in the world. That's my DNA. And that's why I serve on these different nonprofit boards and advise a lot of people beyond those that are on my LinkedIn. But what I wanted to do for my primary was, look, I do digital things. I think these are really big problems and I want to figure out the problem. And so through my process of writing what became thousands of pages in my journals, I ended up coming up with this concept around how to unite some of these products, lost lead with one, sell another. And I love the concept so much that I went to our global CEO of Deloitte, actually during the World Economic Forum, and I said, hey... I want to leave. I want to go work on this. He offered to support it by doing it inside the firm. But I'm like, no, I'm going to go do this. I am really passionate about it. So for me, it was really more about following my passion, but also knowing that I knew how to execute. This brought together product, of which I grabbed the best product person I've ever met in my life. His name is Eric Berg. And we've worked together a couple of times. And he's designed what is an award-winning product. And it's one of the best products I've seen. I was deeply interested in the marketing and the sharing. In this case, we don't actually send a lot of invites. If you add a spouse or you invite a guardian to say, hey, I, Max and Mia, I'm getting my act together. I'm proud of this giving Max and Mia guardians. I think you'd be great. If it came down to it, would you be willing to do this for me? Those messages that get sent out, almost half of those people actually join the platform and are then get engaged with us again. So for me, it was this exciting moment to bring together a lot of things that I love to do while solving what I felt was a really important social problem. 
I appreciate how throughout your career, you've always had the sense of how to market to a wide variety of customers. And you've also cultivated an experience and been a first mover in multiple different channels. As you think back on your career, having gone from somebody who was a product manager through business school, building and selling multiple different companies and now working for tomorrow, what lessons have you learned and what are some of the pieces of advice that you can pass on to someone who wants to follow a similar impact-oriented career? I had a fantastic conversation with a young woman who has now literally moved from being in the nonprofit world to working in hedge fund advisory. And she had to divulge to me that she actually loved her job so much more and she's so much better suited for it, but that she feels guilty because she left the world of nonprofit to go and do this. Maybe a little guilt because she's getting paid for it or whatever. Feels like a sellout. I went through the same thing, which I was that idealistic socialist in college. My first two degrees are in public policy with an economic development emphasis. I wanted to go change the world. And then I got to those places and I saw that based on my skill set, and my passions, I was not going to like the work that I was going to do. And it was very, very depressing at that point because I wanted to have a greater impact on the world. But I love the internet. I love music. So through going through business school where we all exchange jobs and come out the other side with each other's jobs, I was able to work on the Rhapsody Music Service and learn all things about the internet and how to market and how to grow something. And I just loved it. I realized this is what I love to do. So through the process of building the agency, through some of the things, I was able to have a taste of what it's like to use your skills for good. And I loved it. I loved it so much. So now when I thought back, I thought, well, I don't want to be an executive director of a nonprofit. I don't want to be an operator of one of these amazing entities that are on the ground improving the world. I want to find the ways where I can take my skills, where I can take the leverage of digital experiences and use that to actually accomplish some goal. I'm not making the entire world better, but for the half million people who are on our platform in one way or another, their lives are actually getting better. There's more stability and we're helping those folks. And that feels pretty amazing. And we're just at the beginning. I appreciate how you found the balance between doing something that has a social impact and social good, and also finding a way to be practical and doing something that you love to do and feel like you're going to be a success at. So Dave, just want to say again, thank you for coming on the show. It's an honor to have you here. We have a lot of great guests. We don't have a lot of Fulbright scholars. So thank you for taking the time to share your experience with us. I really appreciate it. Thanks for the time. Okay. And that wraps up this episode of the MarTech Podcast. Thanks again to Dave Hanley for joining us. If you'd like to learn more about Dave, you can click on the link to his LinkedIn profile in our show notes. You can send him a tweet. His handle is Dave Hanley, D-A-V-E-H-A-N-L-E-Y. Or you can visit his company's website, which is tomorrow.me, tomorrow.me. A couple of links in our show notes that I want to tell you about. If you didn't have a chance to take notes while you were listening to this podcast, just head over to martechpod.com, where we have summaries of all of our episodes and contact information for our guests. If you're a subscriber to the MarTech Podcast, thanks for being a member of our community. 
We always want to hear from you, so we created benjshap.com question, where you can send us topic suggestions or your marketing questions, which we'll answer live on our show. Of course, you can always reach out on social media. My handle is benjshap on LinkedIn and on Twitter. And if you haven't subscribed yet and you want a daily stream of marketing and technology knowledge in your podcast feed, we publish episodes every day during the work week. So hit the subscribe button in your podcast app and we'll be back in your feed tomorrow morning. Or if you'd prefer to have our content delivered to your inbox, we also have a once a week newsletter with links to our audio players, episode summaries, and the contact information for our guests. To subscribe, go to benjshap.com newsletter. Okay, that's it for today. But until next time, my advice is to just focus on keeping your customers happy. Thanks for listening to the MarTech Podcast, and I hear everything production. Looking to launch or scale a podcast like this one for your brand? Then visit IHearEverything.com.